0: Coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast, we have Rick Benell because it's Tuesdays with Rick. Also, we have an Indiana Pacers preview. Sam Bassini came out with a mock draft. Doug can't get enough of them. And this What are the logistics? Get, put a microphone in front of your
1: face and come on here and deliver some hot takes.
0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In the minute, we live. We live this is locked on hornets presented by the locked on podcast network it's your team every day local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network it's a tuesday which means we continue the tradition of going to the guest line and welcoming rick bunnell of the charlotte observer you can follow him on twitter at rick underscore bunnell rick thanks for the time once again appreciate it and uh, how was the road trip out west to start off the season
2: It was terrific. If I could personally schedule a road
0: trip, it would be all
2: Mm. California. (laughs) It was it was heaven. And, And I actually snuck away to San Diego for a day on the way home.
0: So San Diego, San Francisco, L.A. I mean, you caught really all of the big cities. And I know you usually try to go to your favorite spots. What was the spot that I saw on Twitter that you really like in San Francisco, Rick?
2: There is a place that a local introduced me to about ten years ago called Swan Oyster Depot. It's a it's a fish market that put in like a Woolworth style lunch counter with only eighteen seats. I waited an hour on the sidewalk <laughs> to get one of those seats, and believe me, it was more than worth it. Also, might be the only restaurant I can think of that to this day doesn't take credit cards.
1: That sounds like a rich Cho big time bite. Oh, well, that oh, is a no, big time bite feature. No
2: doubt. I met back. I sent but, Rich there.
0: You sent Rich there. How did he like it? What, did he give you a verdict on it?
2: He loved it. Um, it is the freshest seafood I have ever had in my entire life. All
0: right, well, we're going to have to try when we go out there. The only thing I'll be waiting an hour for is the Popeye's chicken sandwich that just came back. So that's what's going to have to be next on my menu. And then when I go to San Francisco, I'll try that. Rick, it was a good trip for the Hornets as well. The Hornets are three and three. They were two and two on the road trip, and everyone. At least looking at this Hornets team now, we kind of we've kind of thought and maybe talked a little bit about is this going to be a team that displays this type of play for a while? Look, it, it's crazy, Rick, that they're three and three right now with the expectations coming into the season. How much of an early season mirage is this to you, and how much of somewhat you know it, this, this is going to be somewhat real?
2: Well, obviously, the qualifier is who they beat. I mean, the the Bulls. Um, the Kings and now the massively injury-depleted Warriors are all lottery-bound. But having said that, when, you, when this team beats anybody on the road, particularly on the other side of the country, you really need to take notice. Um, John Fokey um, had an interesting stat today. Um, they have won points in the paint in two consecutive games. Um, that seemed a little bit like a miracle considering the first couple of games.
0: Well, and Rick, I know you wrote an article on the Charlotte Observer about Cody Zeller, and I feel like at the beginning of the season, you know, he only had eight rebounds, I believe, against Golden State, but the other games he was getting 12 and 13. I mean, borderline, not Andre Drummond numbers this season, but certainly putting up big-time double-digit board numbers, and he's been very good. You know, what did you what have you made of Cody Zeller's play to start off the year?
2: Well, first of all, I think he's been excellent, and, and he was asked to be. Um there is nobody on this team who was asked to take a more expanded role in Kemba's absence than, than Cody. He, I thought he explained it to me really well. He said, you know, he said, even when plays would start out for other people, 80% of the offense, you know, was central on Kemba. And that meant that basically his job was to screen and screen and screen and roll the basket. Now, all of a sudden, he's, he's got a, a, a role in ball distribution, a lot of dribble handoffs. Um, all kinds of things he's doing. He's, you know, he's making three-pointers. But more importantly than anything else, I had a long sit-down by myself with Cody out in San Francisco. It's about health, guys. He is truly healthy for the first time in two years. And And Mitch Kutchak deserves some credit for that. One of the very first things Mitch did when he came in here was realize the Hornets needed to beef up their medical staff. And specifically... Add people involved in preventive medicine. Cody's been the big beneficiary of that. Um, They are doing something that's sort of acupuncture-like called dry needling that is really doing his knee wonders. Um, And he's told me since he hasn't felt this healthy in a very long time, and there's no maybe that that's reflected in his play
0: what are the chances that Cody Zeller could be a trade piece later in the season? And do you think that would benefit depending on the package that would come back? I mean, do you think that it it more than likely would just be better for the Hornets to keep Cody Zeller?
2: Walker, that's a very understandable question. It's something I've thought about. The problem is as a hypothetical, you know, you'd really have to ask yourself what you're getting back. Um, If it were anything short of, you know, a first-round pick without a lot of lottery protection? I don't know if you do it because, as we've discussed before, I think the, the best description of Cody right now is that there is a wider gap between him and anybody else who plays center on this roster than there is a gap between the starter and the backup at any other other position. I don't think that's even close.
1: A part of this 3-3 three and three start, I think, has to be attributed to health. Uh, because the Hornets have stayed healthy, uh, minus Nick Batum, throughout this run. And they've played a lot of teams that have not exactly been healthy, and the the Indiana Pacers included, that they have coming up tonight. But I'm curious about Nick Batum, uh, the status on his return, and how you think his absence has affected uh, the team in general and, and maybe individual players.
2: Well, first of all, it looks like the Pacers are getting healthy in a hurry, because Miles Turner is now listened as questionable. That surprises me. Um, If they have both Turner and Sabonis, that points in the paint thing is going to be rough tonight. Um, As far as Nick, I talked to him this morning, and he told me that while he's while he's clearly feeling some healing in that broken finger, it is an absolute minimum of two weeks still until he's ready. The thing is, since it's his non-shooting hand, um, he has been allowed to work out in basketball style stuff. And so he thinks that, you know, when he is cleared medically, it won't take all that long for him to, you know, be back up to speed. Um, I think that Nick's value is versatility and defense. And I think that that's important because, you uh, you you know, last season I understand, you know, Nick didn't have a good season. He'd be the first person to say that. But as far as how much or little he was scoring, a lot, he had to ration an awful lot of his energy last season toward often guarding the other team's primary scorer. And that was how they, you know, that was, that was part of the deal in terms of uh, letting Jeremy Lamb play long minutes. Um, they need Nick because God knows anybody who can guard him, this team would make them better.
0: Rick Bennell joins us every Tuesday from the Charlotte Observer. Follow him on Twitter for all the Hornets coverage this season at Rick underscore Bunnell. Rick, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And I'll see you over there at the Spectrum Center tonight.
2: Terrific. Have a good night, guys.
0: All right. Once again, that was Rick Bennell. Always appreciate the time. We'll take a quick break. Miles Bridges numbers. Doug's got a couple of good ones. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. It's the Locked On Hornets Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. That is so to God's form that you were about to make fun of people for their opinions of people changing their body. And then mid making fun of other people doing that, you said, I will say this though, mm-hmm. the guy that I think his body changed, that's correct.
1: Yeah. Well, little proceed. you're right. But little known fact about me, I have 20, 40 vision. So, oh, okay. um, that me, I, I'm pretty sure sh- what, or is it 40, 20 vision, whatever means that I have great, like Eagle eye vision. That's Eagle Eye Cherry, by the way. Cray, underrated band of the 90s. Save tonight. One of my favorite songs.
0: It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks to Rick Bennell again for joining us on the Locked on Hornets podcast. We will have more from him tomorrow. A little bit more about Kimba's return. Pacers game tonight. Boston Celtics game is going to be on Thursday. So we're going to talk... More to uh, about the Kemba return on Thursday, what it means to the franchise, just his time covering Kemba Walker and just the basis that each of those parties left and what they're thinking about, I guess, during the time that he was leaving. So some interesting stuff from Rick Benell again on the Kimba Walker return game. We also have two tickets to the Kimba Walker return game. Kimba Walker coming back from Boston to Charlotte. Doug, tell the people how they can win the tickets.
1: Yeah, follow us on Instagram at LockedOnHornets. We will post exactly how to win those tickets. We make it really easy. Also, you can join our Patreon page and get double entries. So everyone on our Patreon page for this giveaway will get double entries.
0: Manscaped is number one in men's uh, below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On. That's all one word, no spaces, LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. Also, promise you guys, Miles Bridges numbers, Doug, looking, I don't know if you jotted them down in your little black notebook, but you got some interesting stats on Miles Bridges. It's, a, it's a mix. Some
1: of it I put, I put in the rundown. Some of it I have locked away in the stash in my little black notebook because I think that Miles Bridges uh, might be the most interesting player just in how he's changed from his rookie season to this season. And and he really has two new roles, uh, a new role on offense and a new role on defense. And you heard Rick Bennell there talk about the effect on this basketball team of not having Nick Batum on the floor and what he can give you in terms of distributing the basketball and opening, opening up plays for others. And, and I think he's affecting Miles Bridges' play as well because Bridges not only has assumed the role on defense as primary defender, we saw him go up against Kawhi Leonard one-on-one in that game against the Lakers, But he's adjusting to a new role in the offense. So let me give you the overall offensive numbers. 12.5 points per game on 44% shooting and 35.7% from three. He's also tossing in five rebounds and two assists. Now, if you look at the per 36 numbers, his scoring average is only up one point from last year. That surprised me. He's only taking one more field goal attempt per game, again, per 36 minutes. His three-point percentage is up from his rookie year but his effective field goal percentage is actually down because his two-point percentage has been much worse. And again, it's very strange to me. So it had me asking, like, what's going on? So I dug into some numbers on cleaning the glass, and in 19.6 minutes per game last season, 82% of all of of Miles Bridges' made shots were assisted. 82%, that's a huge number. 76% of his rim makes were assisted last season. And he was 56.1% from two. That was 80th percentile among forwards. So he was a very good player um, from inside the arc. Now you fast forward to this season so far, six games in, it's a small sample size, I know. But things have changed dramatically in terms of his role within the current offense. Now 32.3 minutes per game, so he's getting a ton more minutes. He's uh, 50% of all of his made shots are assisted, down from 82%. 31% of his rim makes are assisted, down from 76%. And now he's shooting 50% from two. That's the 51st percentile. So the big picture on those numbers, Walker, is that Miles Bridges is being forced to create a lot for himself now. And it seems like, at least the early returns are, he's struggling to do that.
0: It's not the guy that I want a basketball in his hands when things go wrong. I don't want him to try to create a shot for himself. I mean, not now. I I do want him to develop that skill, but you understand I don't want it right now because he's just not very good at it. What he's good at doing, if he's going to have the basketball in his hands and go get a bucket... What he is okay at doing is driving towards the rim and every once in a while breaking off a spin move and finishing with his right hand or his left hand, whatever side he decides to spin to. I do think he's decisive when he has it in his brain I want to drive to the basket. And I want to score. I'm going to go dunk it on someone. I'm going to lay it in. I'm going to finish with contact at the rim, but we haven't seen that as much. And it's not someone that you just want to throw it to on the perimeter. Him triple threat position kind of maybe dribble a little bit. The useless dribbles that make all head coaches angry, right? Where you're not dribbling with a purpose. I- That's someone that can't do that. That's not someone that can have the stationary dribbles like a Malik Monk. He can take you off the dribble if if he's dribbling at him right there, right? Like Miles needs to come off a triple threat and immediately go to work towards the rim. Other guys on the team don't have to do that. Miles isn't a playmaker. He's not going to create another shot for any one of his teammates, not for himself or either one of his teammates. So I wasn't surprised to hear you rattle off the stat of him Mm -hmm. having 82% of his baskets come assisted and this year it's 50 and still only have one more point per game per 36 minutes. I mean, it, it makes sense when you look at all the numbers and what we see out there on the court. It does make sense to me.
1: Things have gotten a lot more complicated for Miles Bridges on both ends of the floor. Again, he's having to, you know, really access a lot uh, to and expend a lot of energy to guard the best player on the other team every night or at least the best wing player every night. And, and then on the offensive side, he's got to create for himself now. And, and I think the onus, if, if you want Miles Bridges to be more successful in that starting lineup, a starting lineup, by the way, that has struggled this season, like the starting lineup is one of the worst starting lineups just performance-wise, both on offense and defense, in the league this year. The Hornets have found success with their bench. Uh, if you want Miles Bridges to be more successful in the starting lineup, I think the onus is on the coaching staff – to find ways to get him into, into better positions, run some plays where you can uh, give him a few more opportunities to score off assist than create for himself because right now he just hasn't proven that he can do that. And it, and it might be unfair to ask him to do that in year two. Look at Cody Zeller. He's, right now he's experiencing the highest usage of his career, but he's had so many years to be the non high usage guy and get assists from other players. He's had years to, to develop that. Uh, Miles is being uh, thrown into this position, and, and I'm not sure it's a role that suits him.
0: Uh, well, and and let it let it take six years for Miles Bridges to. Have. I don't
1: think it's going to take six years, well, but I don't right. think that year two. I mean, oh, I, here's the thing. I'm just telling you the evidence that I have right now. Maybe it changes. Maybe Miles uh, suddenly starts to create for himself and and raises his points per possession. But right now, it's not happening.
0: No, right now it's not happening. My my only point was that let it take six years and see if people have the patience to deal with that. <laughs> And nope. a team that's rebuilding. No, they're not going to have the patience to deal with that, especially at that position, Doug. It's OK if Cody Zeller's going through it right now. But Miles Bridges doesn't play the five, doesn't play the rim runner that a lot of fives play in this day and age. Like we need Miles to be able to put the ball on the deck and be OK with it and make some plays for other guys and make plays for himself. Right now, he relies on a lot of different players. You know who he doesn't rely on? It's P.J. Washington because P.J. Washington is taking away all of the production that he was giving us well, last PJ,
1: season. Well, P.J. Washington is the player that, except for bigger minutes than Miles got last year, but if yeah. you look at those same assisted two numbers from cleaning the glass, P.J. Washington, nearly uh, uh, more than 80% of his shots have come off assist. Like, he's not creating for himself at all, and that's,
0: that's the role that suits P.J. Washington. It, it, you know what I think that we're going to be a little bit more acceptable of that with PJ though because we're kind of looking at him as a 4-5 rather than Miles Bridges as a 3-4 so I think I'm more accepting of PJ Washington not wow. getting his buckets off you know well, getting PJ it to him, has him on the perimeter moves. and drive yeah, Miles doesn't and, and have right he Miles has
1: right. to ultimately for Miles to become a more a starter a, a, a starter on a good team he has to be able to create for himself a little bit more.
0: All right. We have a Pacers preview that we'll talk about next break. Jeremy Lamb's return game. What do we expect from him? What kind didn't we have a lamb line discussion? Like at what point, Do you produce more for Jeremy than Jeremy Lamb to get a standing ovation? Can you produce a little bit less? Does Jeremy himself deserve a standing ovation? I think we had that conversation. I think Lamb deserves a golf clap.
1: I think Lamb deserves a golf clap. Like, hey, good job. Thank Mm -hmm. you for all of your services and for being a big part of the offense last season. But you ultimately, your rise uh, is parallel to a period of Charlotte Hornets basketball that I think a lot of us would would rather forget.
0: All right, we'll talk about Jeremy Lamb, as well as some of the guys that are getting healthier for the Indiana Pacers next on the Locked on Hornets podcast.
1: This is Locked on Hornets. And the Google description here says on contracts made before June where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades named or numbered, <laughs> B shares batik of New York N dot B dot A dot. So take that for what you will. That's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The Yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C minus. Let's get them on.
0: It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Doug, did you see Nada's tweet yesterday? He, he tweeted out, you know, it's really just all about logistics to this point, why I haven't been on the show in a long time. It's not because they don't want me. Parentheses, at least I don't think that's the case. End of parentheses. I, I want Nada back, man, but I guess it is logistics. Some of this is on his end. Like, we want Nada back. What are the logistics? Put a microphone in front
1: of your face and come on here and deliver some hot takes.
0: I think we need a microphone, right? I believe that's the thing, or maybe he can call in. Do we have him on as a guest? Just go with the phone? Have him on the guest line? Phone has a mic, doesn't it? Yeah, call me up. Let's go. There's a voicemail line. Leave a voicemail, by the
1: way. Patreon.com forward slash L-O-H. You can leave your voicemail. Ask us a question.
0: (laughs) Time for a Pacers preview. Uh, That was impressive. Time for a Pacers preview. So, Looking at this Pacers game going into the weekend, I thought that there was a good chance where we had the discussion of, are the Hornets too good? Are they actually winning too much? It looked like they might come back from that West Coast trip having beaten a Golden State team that was clearly depleted, and they did so. They are 3-3, three and three. going up against a Pacers team that had started off extremely poor, but they have won three games since they started off 0-3, losing to a Cavs team, losing to a Pistons team without Blake Griffin. Andre Drummond is having a crazy year so far, but it, again, it was without Blake Griffin. So the Pacers started 0-3, but have right of the ship, they have won comfortably in their last three games. Malcolm Brogdon is a big reason for their success. He looks like an all-star, especially in the Eastern Conference. He's been nearly a 20-10 and 10 guy to start the year. So they have a go-to guy in absence of their real go-to guy in Victor Oladipo. They have a second fiddle that they can go to in Malcolm Brogdon, who can possibly play first fiddle every now and then. And he's helped them the last three games. So when you look at the Pacers, 0-3, but now 3-3, and coming to Charlotte, facing the three and three Hornets, like this would be the good win the Hornets could get. I, I think the Pacers win, but this would be the one that I feel like we would give them the most credit if they were able to knock off Indiana.
1: Maybe, but I mean, this is a team that's still, I mean, they're feisty right now, but they're still beset by injuries. Let me just run it down. Uh, uh, this is at 1.19 p.m. Uh, tweet from the Pacers. Doug McDermott, questionable with a sore left foot. Victor Oladipo, we know he's out, right knee surgery. Sabonis is questionable, left calf contusion. Edmund Sumner, who uh, was a starter there for a while and and a big contributor for them early in the season, Uh, out, right-hand fracture. Miles Turner upgraded from doubtful to questionable with a right ankle sprain. So really just have to see where the chips fall on this. Now, if Sabonis and Turner both play, (laughs) (laughs) this might be really difficult for the Hornets because they struggle with size inside, and, and Sabonis has been dominant so far. He's looked really good. This is a Pacers team that even without some of those players, they play really good defense. Uh, they turn you over. They protect the three-point line. They're not great offensively, but that's mainly because they've been injured, uh, but they also don't turn it over. Uh, you were mentioning uh, uh, Brogdon's numbers. The most surprising number to me is 1.8 turnovers. Uh, you know, it, it, He's such a huge part of the offense now. And he is just not making mistakes with the basketball. And that means that it's not easy to score against this team.
0: Well, that was the big question about the Indiana Pacers was, could DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner play on the floor at the same time and be a really effective basketball team? And so when you're going up against a team that is this small, you're going to win the points in the paint battle and you are going to win the rebound battle. Now, I wonder about how that affects them defensively, getting Miles Turner maybe out on the perimeter a little bit more. Miles Turner has been a guy that's been very good at defense, even on the perimeter and inside, someone that has I believe he led the league in block shots last year if I'm not mistaken. I know he was close to it, but Miles is a great defender. Sabonis not the defender that Miles Turner is, but also DeBonis he, Sabonis just doesn't miss. When he's in the paint, Sabonis just does not miss shots. It was pretty incredible to watch him go 7 of 8 from the field. Every single game that I watched from the Pacers last year, those big guys are going to be tough for the Hornets to stop down low.
1: Yeah, a team that loves to run a lot of pick and roll this season and Brogdon a big part of that. Do they switch that that pick and roll up top and, you know, put a a bigger, slower player on Brogdon and allow Brogdon to penetrate, but then you got Lamb as well who's shooting well really from everywhere. I mean, he's finishing inside, he's shooting well from mid-range. He's he's three-tier right now and and scoring a lot. They're just, it's a team that makes you make tough choices on defense and they're playing a Charlotte Hornets team that is 26th in defense this year and 28th in defensive rebounding. So that's why I say, God, God help them if, if both of their bigs are healthy.
0: We've talked about this before. I know I did in a solo show, but the fact that the Bucks didn't pay the luxury tax for Malcolm Brogdon, it, it, nobody talked about that as much to me. That's it's borderline indefensible. Because my, I, I, the only reason that makes it okay is if Malcolm Brogdon, if they looked at his ankle and said, you know what? That thing is a ticking time bomb. I don't want any part of it. Let him go with another team, and he can be that risk. But Malcolm Brogdon, pay the luxury tax for that guy because now it's Eric Bledsoe that you're dealing with. And, that was the choice. That was the choice that they made. They essentially they made, the made, the made the choice. One. Yeah, well, I and, agree with you. And, and they did at the beginning of it. I, I remember texting Nada when they gave Eric Bledsoe that contract. And that, look, I get I a lot of stuff wrong but I always kind of felt that Eric Bledsoe was a a contract year player and they gave him a contract really early in the season last year. And they decided this is going to be the person that we go with. And they made that decision, but they could have paid the luxury tax for Brogdon. Like they could have done that. And they decided that we don't want to do it. Even though we have a championship caliber team, we already paid Eric Bledsoe who was awful in the playoffs last year. They were, he was, he was melted down and Brogdon was very good, and they decided, you know what? We're not going to pay the luxury tax, even though we're absolutely a team that could possibly win the championship. Certainly get to the NBA Finals and give ourselves an opportunity. Not to mention, Philadelphia got a lot bigger, Doug, I and mean, Philadelphia's got some length. You could use a big guard like Malcolm Brockton, who can handle the ball and shoot the three-pointer. Uh, that, was, that was dumb. The Bucks aren't a better basketball team, and I feel like everybody should be mad at the Milwaukee Bucks.
1: You feel better? I just, it just, you just I, expended I so a lot surprised. of energy on on the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I was like so, it. I like I that, was, I like that fire from you. I was
0: just surprised, like I was so surprised from it at the beginning. It doesn't make any sense now. I just pay the luxury tax.
1: Let's see how well Brogdon does when Victor Oladipo comes back. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Let's let's see, let's just wait and see. Really early in the season right now. I'm not I'm still not buying Devin Booker. I don't care that he scored 40 points or whatever in a win and there, you know, Phoenix is playing well right now. So early in the season, early returns just let people show you who they really are in game 60. I don't care about game 6. I don't care about game 6. I care about game 60.
0: Well, when they the, were in the playoffs and Giannis, any time that Giannis wasn't going, and Malcolm Brogdon is the guy they leaned on. Anyways, all right. We got mock draft season. David Walker, he tweeted at us. I know you oh love yeah. mock draft season. It's oh, never too yeah. early for mock draft season. It's always oh, time for my. mock draft. Mock is so hard ahead, right Doug.
1: now. Mock draft season. Sam Vecini. You. Save us. Okay.
0: <laughs> I heard the you, Doug. What's the mock draft?
1: This is uh, from the Athletic. We can always count on Sam Vicini to bring the mock hard mock draft 1.0 from the Athletic. He says it's that time of year, folks. Oh, trust me, I know. I could have I could have done with this 2 weeks prior. I think it's a little late to be perfectly honest, but he writes you might say that it's early in the process and thus not really worth going wild with these projections. I would I would never say that. Let's go super wild. And you're asking right now, who does Sam Bassini have mocked to the Charlotte Hornets? First, you're asking, where does he have the Charlotte Hornets? Right now, he has them fifth in his mock draft, which again, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I said, Charlotte Hornets, not the worst team in the league. They will be bottom five. They will not be the worst team in the league. Now these power rankers and these mock drafters are finally coming around to that fact. The Charlotte Hornets ranked at five, and he has them taking
0: one LaMelo Ball. Wow, that's a big name to be dropping on the Charlotte Hornets. LeVar Ball, welcome to the Queen City, baby. The Ball family. You're going to love it
1: here. You're going to love it here. Epicenter, fantastic place to have a good time. Um, I can't wait for the LeVar Ball show in Charlotte, two huge personalities. Maybe Lavar Ball will coax a statement out of Michael Jordan. Did if there's you, one guy,
0: did you really find a way in the last segment to mention balls and also get your joke off twice about being mock hard? Is that what you just said? Lamelo Ball, <laughs> six seven guard, eighteen years
1: old, playing internationally right now in the NBL, which is the isn't that the Australian basketball league? Don't ask me. Plays for a for a team. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Illawarra? Illawarra
0: Hawks. I know they're the Hawks. That's the only the Hawks. thing I know.
1: Right now averaging 13.4 points, 6.5 rebounds, 5.5 5 assists, 1.6 steals on 34% shooting, 19% from three. His shooting is the Hell big yeah. thing, right? Absolutely. Like he's just, he's not a very good shooter right now. Can he become a good shooter? He's just good at everything else. Like he's just, he, his court vision, a lot like Lonzo, is just out of this world um, he can make fancy passes like nobody's business and the the ceiling very high from him, for him, but the floor probably pretty low right now.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back to recap the they Indiana Pacers game yellow, tomorrow. Yellow.